0: Welcome to Victory Church podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, his church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I saw I saw this tweet which I thought was worthy of a mention. And it's going to set the tone for what I want to share. If you're taking notes, the title of my message would simply be this Eternity Within. If I say Eternity Within, I'll explain that in just a moment. Eternity Within. And uh, the tweet read, The Apostle Paul's teaching mentions communion twice. Who is the Apostle Paul? I hear you ask. The Apostle Paul was the writer of most of the New Testament. What is the New Testament, I hear you ask? The New Testament is the second book in the Bible. The Bible is made up of two books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament. I'm going to slow down. The New Testament. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And one keen observer has tweeted that he mentions communion twice. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord for months, weeks, or even years or decades, I'm sure you would agree that communion is a very important subject that needs to be adhered to, yes? And we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper around the communion table after my preach this morning. I believe in the communion table, I do. I believe it's important. The Apostle Paul mentions it twice. He mentions baptism 13 times. The tweet goes on. So twice he mentions baptism communion 13 times he mentions baptism. Who here believes that baptism is important? I do. If for no other reason I believe that every believer should be baptised by full immersion, that is you go into the water and come up out of the water all wet because Jesus did that. And if there was one person on the planet who didn't need to be baptised, it was Jesus. But He was baptised by full immersion in order to set the example of what He expected His believers to do as followers of Him. I believe in baptism. If you have not been baptised, put down your commitment to being baptised with our next baptismal service coming up very soon. I believe in baptism. The Apostle Paul mentions communion twice. He mentions baptism 13 times. But the keen observer who mentioned, uh, who wrote this tweet said, he mentions the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 50 times. Wow. Communion is important, mentions it twice. Baptism is important, he mentions it 13 times. He mentions the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 50 times, which suggests that to Paul, the second coming of Christ was very, very, very important. And it was on his agenda. In actual fact, I believe it was this focus on eternity. It was this focus on standing before Jesus that motivated him to do all that he did. When you look at the life of Paul and you'll see how much he endured. He says he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with rods on five occasions, 39 times on five occasions. I mean, that's a lot of damage to the body. Many people died through such beatings just on one occasion. He endured hardship. He endured pain. He endured suffering. He endured the misunderstandings that go with being a Christian and being a leader. He endured, he endured. He never gave up, not to the very end. He just kept going and going. He was like the Energizer bunny. that kept going and, going and going and going and going and going. He never gave up. And I believe one of the key reasons he never gave up is because he lived in light of eternity. He lived with eternity on the inside of him, not as a far off distant destination, but he lived with the very real fact that one day I don't know where, I don't know when, I will have to stand before my Lord, my Saviour and my Christ and have to give an account for every word, have to give an account for every action, have to give an account for the way I led the church. Have to give an account for the way we raise our children. Have to give an account for why we held on to that grudge. Oh, when you live in light of eternity, there's not much room to hide. Peter, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, who also is an author in the New Testament, wrote a couple of letters, history records, that when it came time for Peter to die because he was being crucified, all of the disciples died horrific deaths and Peter was at the time of his death, he was facing a horrific death. Crucifixion, Crucifixion was not pretty. Crucifixion was humiliating and very, very painful. And Peter, we don't find him, according to tradition, we don't find Peter trying to talk the authorities out of his crucifixion. History records he had but one request and it was not to not be crucified. His one request was that he would not be crucified in the same manner of Christ. So he he said this, when you crucify me, can you crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Christ Himself was crucified. That's a whole nother level of Christianity. I mean, if I was to ask the question in this room today, do you love Jesus? Many, if not most of us in this room who have been following Christ for many years would say, yeah, I love Jesus. And you know what? I'm not here to argue the point whether or not you love Jesus. In actual fact, I would agree with you saying that you love Jesus. But if I ask the question, who loves ice cream? I'm sure there'd be a lot of people saying I love ice cream. And if I ask, who likes chocolate? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And if I said, who likes cars? Or who likes homes? Who loves their family? Here's the point. We have lots of loves in our life. It's not whether we love Jesus, it's the importance we place on the love that we have for Jesus that makes us effective or not. I mean, if you love ice cream, but you love Jesus, you're not gonna live the New Testament radical life that we see the early apostles living. I mean, I'm sure Paul and and Peter and those guys had other loves, but those other loves found their place behind their love for Christ. So good, yeah. It's not about whether you love Jesus. It's do you love Him most? Yeah. Do you love Him more? Yeah. Is it like, oh, I love my wife. Oh, I love my kids. Oh, they are awesome. And I love chocolate and I love ice cream. And, yeah, I love Jesus. That, that's not gonna help us to live the life that we see the early church living. And so I want to read a scripture this morning and it's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. I'm reading from the Amplified Version, um, which must have been written by a woman because there's so many extra words, just a thought. It says a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy, yet so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, that God Himself has set eternity in our hearts. God has put inside every one of us a little piece of Himself. It's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. And that God-shaped hole cannot be filled by anything else other than God Himself. And that's why there is a fascination today with the supernatural, the weird, the wonderful zombies. And that's why, you know, in America, Halloween is so massive and people are dressing up in all sorts of crazy costumes because inside each and every one of us is this quest, this desire, this intrigue with the unseen, the unknown, the supernatural. That's been put there by God. He's put eternity in our hearts. Wow. Yeah. And I thank God for that. But here's the question I have for you. While God has put eternity in our hearts, my question is this, have you set your hearts on eternity? Because as with everything with God, He demands a response from us. He puts the answer before us and then He demands a response from us. And I love that fact. I love the fact that God has not made us robots. I love the God, the fact that God puts something before us, the choice of life or death, and then He gets us to choose. Yeah. You can walk this way, you can walk that way, it's up to you. You choose. What an incredible Father yeah. that He would give us such choice. I mean, for all the control freaks out there, are any control freaks? Paul, God bless your honesty. <laughs> you're not only a control freak, you're an honest one. Bless you, brother. There's a lot of other control freaks who are just lying right now. That's fine. But let's be honest. If, if we were God and we decided to make humanity, human beings in our image, we, we would have a little clause, do as I say. Just the control freak in us. Ju- but, but God says, no, you, you can choose. I'm going to make you and you can choose to love me or reject me. It's up to you. And I love that. And so the question we are faced with this morning believer or unbeliever, this morning is this. Have we set our hearts on eternity? Where is our focus? One of the things I'll be forever grateful for as a young man growing up was my dad's testimony, legacy, and ultimate example. Because as with most dads and most human beings for that matter, he's not perfect. Is anyone who's perfect out there? No, so he's in good company. And so my dad's an incredible man, and I got the privilege of working with him in my apprenticeship years, and then many years after that. And when you work with someone for as long as I did and as closely as I did, guess what? You get to know them. You get to know the good. You get to know the bad, and there's some. And then you get to know the ugly, and there was a few ugly days. Let me tell you, there were some (laughs) ugly, ugly days. And I got to see my dad in the good. And for the majority, it was just good times. I have incredible memories of my childhood. I have incredible memories of my apprenticeship years. I have incredible memories of those years where I worked for and with my dad. I thank God for those days. Lots of good days. A few bad ones, a few uglier ones. But when you get to know somebody, you get to know them warts and all. And I saw dad on some of those ugly days and I can honestly say for every ugly moment for every bad day it was always finished with this line there was an apology usually directed at me because he I was in the vicinity and getting him to see a certain way and, and Dad wanted to take something off me as a young man growing up and he said sorry for my behaviour but he'd always conclude with this thought you know what Tony in light of eternity what's it matter? In light of eternity, what does it matter? And I saw my dad go from rage to peace, not because he was trying hard to be peaceful, not because he was trying hard to be a good dad, but eternity changed his countenance, demeanour and actions. And so my understanding of New Testament Christianity was in this foundation in light of eternity in light of eternity, what's it matter? And I saw him endure a difficult situation on the home front. I saw him endure difficult, difficult days with his business. And it was always tempered with this thought, hey, in light of eternity, what's it matter? And I really do believe that some of us are praying to God for an answer to our prayers. And I sense as I'm speaking this morning, the answer to your prayers is this, hey, in light of eternity, what's the matter? If I never healed you. Because here's the thing you've got to understand, after a weekend with Andrew Kabbalah and you see so many people receive their breakthrough and their healings, it's, that's wonderful. But I always feel for those who don't. And, and, and I, I know that there's enough humanity in this room and I, I know that there's a work of sanctif- sanctification still to happen in this room that some people start thinking, hang on, what about me? And and we're going to stand with you and believe with you for your healing. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just find peace right here, right now, in our moment. With this thought, hey, in light of eternity. In light of eternity. There's worse things that could be happening to me right now. In light of eternity. God has put eternity in our hearts but if we set our hearts on eternity. See, when you view or have eternity as your view, it'll affect the way you do life. The Amplified Version says that we'll be filled with a divinely implanted sense of purpose. One of the uh, core values of this church is that we might help you find your God-given purpose. We exist as a church to connect people to God, to His church, and to their purpose. I believe we need to help people find their purpose. When you find your purpose, it's the difference between effective Christianity and nominal Christianity. It's the difference between believing believers and unbelieving believers. It's the difference between life with a capital L and mere existence. Nudge somebody now, nudge somebody, come on. It's the difference between passion and mediocrity. It's the difference between winning and losing. It's the difference between us being New Testament Christians and just being people who turn up to church. See, life with no purpose is like using your mobile phone only, get this, as a phone. This is a revelation for some of you to now. Just listen up, you're going to be amazed. You're going to learn something today. I mean, it's wonderful that we can use our mobile phone to ring people and speak to people. That's like fantastic. That's amazing. But you know what, our mobile phones, our mobile, they're not even called mobile phones anymore, they're called mobile devices because there are other things you can do with phones these days other than just ring people. You know, we travelled around America and we never took a camera with us. But we came home with lots of pictures and photos. Do you know why? Because there's an app on our phone that's called a camera. So no longer is it just a phone, it's also a camera. And so, when we wanted to take a picture of somebody, I said, hey, I'll get my phone out because it's not just a phone. In other words, the creator of the mobile device put in it more potential than just to answer calls and to take calls and to give calls. And so, we took lots of photos when we were in America with our phone. You know what? This phone entertained our kids on long drives. When I was a kid, We'd be sitting in the back of a car with no air conditioning, mind you. And we certainly never went to Hawaii, kids. We went to Port Lincoln. <laughs> on a dirt road with no air conditioning. And if you had the windows up, it was too hot. If you had them down, it was too dusty. Up, down. We are up, down. Anybody out there? So are we there yet? Are we there yet? <coughs> I'm hot. <coughs> I'm hot. <just> <laughs> now, we download movies. They push play. You don't hear from them. You know, the only thing you hear them do is complain when you get there because they haven't finished their movie. Like, what? Because <laughs> the purpose of the mobile phone is more than just a phone. Yeah. We never had a map. Remember back in the day when you have to buy a map and you'd open it up and would be in the front seat of the car and you'd be driving, but it'd be getting in your way, obscuring your view. <laughs> and I, I think we're, and I, honey, the map's upside down. <laughs> we never had that because this phone has a GPS and some sort of magic happens from the phone to the satellite and lets me know where I'm going. And it lets me know when I've made a mistake. And so when we made a mistake, it was like rerouting, rerouting, turn around in 50 meters. And we got everywhere we wanted to go without a map, without having to play one game of I Spy. Thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine going away with a phone and, and, and getting a big paper map out and having to play ISpy? Spy? It would just be like, why don't, you, why don't you use this to its full capacity? And that's how I feel as a leader in the church. There are many people that are sitting back and they're like, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. They're just doing nothing else. That's fantastic, you're going to heaven. But you were created for much, much more than just waiting around going to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, just waiting around going to heaven. And if there is a rapture, I hope I'm part of it. I mean, like, come on. I mean, seriously. We've been created for much, much more, I believe. And so living with eternity in mind will change the way we live. I want to go five areas very quickly. And I managed to do it very quickly in the uh, chapel service. So I'm going to do it very quickly this morning. Five areas that are going to change for you when you live in light of eternity. Number 1 Your view of eternity determines the way you see salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says, "Who has saved us, or sorry, he who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time." You know, I thank God for salvation. I thank God for all the incredible songs that have been written and sung about regarding our salvation. I'll be forever in awe of the fact that I've been saved from eternal damnation and and, uh, get to live with Him for all time and eternity. I thank God for that. But when you live in light of eternity, purpose comes to your salvation. The Bible says in 2 Timothy that we've not just been saved, but we've also been called and there are many Christians that live just saved and then they get on with their life as they always have and they forget the purpose of their existence. Hey, if it was just about us being saved, if Jesus' work of redemption upon the cross was just about getting us to heaven, then we may as well have been raptured the moment we gave our lives to Jesus. The fact that we have been left here, now just touch a person next to you just to see if they've been left here. If you can feel somebody That means they've been left here for a purpose. They've been left here for a purpose. And that purpose is not just to sit around waiting for Jesus to come or us to go to Him. It's to tap into our calling. It's to tap into our God-given potential so that we may fulfill what God has called us to do. He's not only saved us, but He's called us. Hey, I look forward to that wonderful, glorious day when we get to be with God in heaven. But until then, let's make the most of our time here on planet earth, amen? Secondly, your view of eternity determines the way you see the anointing. What is the anointing? The anointing is the supernatural equipping or the supernatural ability that comes to you through the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit empowering your life. In other words you've been given a power to do what you otherwise could not do. In Luke chapter 4 verse 18 Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. See many Christians when they read this they stop at the Lord, sorry the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And we have these incredible meetings where the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I don't mean to be disrespectful if the Spirit of the Lord has ever been upon you and you've shake, rattled and rolled and fallen over. I, I am not opposed to that. In actual fact, I've experienced it and I've experienced it on more than one occasion. I thank God for the fact that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. But when we turn our meetings... And when we turn our churches into just the Spirit of the Lord being upon me, we have totally missed the point of the anointing in the first place. When we say, Pastor, can you pray for me? And we have one of those incredible moments where we feel all the goosebumps. And and, uh, that's a wonderful time. I mean, last Sunday night was one of those incredible nights and I saw people laughing and I saw people weeping and I saw people under the power of the Holy Spirit and I saw people just standing there receiving more from God. I saw people being healed and it's fantastic. And I know with all of that comes incredibly good feelings. But the moment we make the anointing, the the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, just about how it makes me feel, we've missed the point. It says to me, we've taken our eyes off eternity and made it all about us. But if you read on, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, in other words, there was a reason for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon Him and it was to do the work of the ministry. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to save. How about this one? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to forgive. If you're struggling to forgive someone, maybe you just need more of God Himself because when the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and you look past the goosebumps and you look past the feelings, you'll realise that you've been empowered from on high to forgive and do what otherwise you could not do. When you live in light of eternity, it changes your perspective of the anointing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is the Greek word dunamis, which is the English word translated to dynamite. Hey, this is what I know about dynamite. Dynamite can do good and dynamite can do bad. Dynamite can help blow up a building to remove the building so that you can build a new infrastructure. Can do good. But dynamite in the wrong hands, in the wrong place, at the wrong time can hurt. And so, this power we have is meant to help people, not hurt people. And when we make the anointing all about us and, and how powerful we are, we can end up hurting people unnecessarily. We can end up hurting churches, hurting people, hurting families. Number three, your view of eternity determines the way you see provision. In Psalm 37, verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land. And feed on his faithfulness. The reference here is of the Israelites who came out of the wilderness. Remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness? God supernaturally provided for them. They didn't have to go looking for food, it came to them. They didn't have to buy clothes because their clothes never wore out. They didn't have to buy sandals because God just enabled their sandals to never wear out. Supernatural provision was on hand when they were in the wilderness. But it's interesting, the moment they crossed over the River Jordan and got into the promised land, guess what? The miracles stopped. The miracles stopped. Thank God for the miracles in the wilderness. But upon receiving the promise of the new land, they had to change their thinking. And I believe when we live in light of eternity, it changes the thinking we have about provision. See, we view provision in the terms of I need, I need, I need. And we're expecting God to provide all the time. And I, like you, have been blessed many times when I've heard stories where women who have been praying to God for food and food supernaturally appears on the doorstep. Have you ever heard stories like that? And uh, there's a knock at the door. The door is answered. There's nobody to be seen, but there is a parcel of food. I heard stories like that as a teenage kid growing up in the church and that built my faith. But the day we sit around doing nothing, waiting for people to just provide is to misunderstand the importance of provision. See, it's not just about being blessed. It's about us being a blessing. See, our kids know this mantra. We, we just, we just brainwashed them from a very early age. Our kids know this uh, mantra through and through because we, we spoke it over their lives again and again and again that I'm blessed and they have to say I'm blessed by God, by God to be a blessing, to be a blessing to others. In other words, there's a purpose in our blessing. Let's just not make provision all about us receiving but maybe us providing. Hey, it's wonderful to think that there could be food for somebody who really needs it but wouldn't it be better if we were that person That instead of praying for food, was able to supply the food? Just imagine if every one of us had a new way of thinking because we had a new perspective on eternity and instead of praying that food would turn up, maybe we could be the ones who put the parcel together and we do a little bit of a door knocking mission and we put the parcel down and we knock on the door and do a runner, jump in the bush and watch them answer answer the door. I tell you, that's more fun. It's one thing to be on the receiving end of provision, but to be part of the answer and providing is a whole heap more fun. And when you live in light of eternity, you see provision differently. It's not just about us. It's about others. Number four, in view of eternity, so your view on eternity determines the way you see healing. In John chapter five, verse six, says, when Jesus saw the man lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now Jesus was not having a bad day. You see some guy lying down, he's been like that for a long, long time. Or what about the blind man? This man has been born blind and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Many, many times, on many, many occasions, Jesus asked the people with certain conditions, what do they want? It seems obvious to you and I, a blind man wants to see, a crippled man wants to walk. But Jesus said, no, no, what do you want? Do you want me to heal you or do you want me to make you whole? And there is a difference. Yeah. See, some of us just want healing so we can get on doing what we've always done. But Jesus doesn't want to just heal you. He wants to make you whole. Yeah. See, this blind man that Jesus healed, he was making money as a living as a beggar. But Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. And Jesus was saying, do you really want to see? Because if you can see, you have to change your vocation. There's not much money out there for an ex-blind man. You can't stand there getting money as an ex-blind man. You've got to go now and get yourself a job. we are got to live in line of eternity. One day we're going to stand before Jesus and it changes the way we see everything. It changes the way we see healing. It changes the way we see provision. And lastly, it changes the way we see church. Your view on eternity determines the way we see church. If heaven is just a distant destination, then church is just a meeting. If heaven is just a distant destination, then church attendance becomes an obligation. But when eternity is in your heart, church becomes a place where we fulfill our purpose. I mentioned my dad earlier that he lived by this mantra Hey, Tony, in light of eternity, what's it matter? Let me ask you this question. And I realise there are some people here visiting for the very first time and I'm so glad you're here and you're so welcome. But for many of us here, my dad would be known to you Um, if for no other reason he's come up to you and just started talking to you, telling you a story that didn't start at the beginning and finishing that story, not at the end, but with another story that also doesn't start at the beginning. That's my dad. 79 years of age, as passionate as ever about Jesus, and I'm so grateful for him. But can I just say this? At the age of 79, not having one official title in this church, not leading any department of this church whatsoever, it'd be fair to say that he doesn't have to come to church. In order to, for this church to function, my dad doesn't have to turn up. Would that be fair to say? There's nothing... We, as a church, rely upon Him to make church as we know it, Sunday by Sunday, happen. Point being, He doesn't have to be here. Yet, He not only comes every week, He comes twice every week. What causes a man who's 79 years of age to come to church twice on a Sunday, that has no official title, role or function? Why? I have to say that it's because of how he views eternity. Because he realises that his attendance is no longer just about him. Let me ask you one more question for those of you who know my dad. If my dad just fell off the face of the planet and stopped coming to church. For those of you who didn't know my dad, now you do. He's the guy always saying things at inappropriate times and he wants to be with Jesus you know that's evident and that's what's kept him so passionate but short of him going to be with Jesus today which can be arranged if you keep interrupting <laughs> me I can finally I'm, I'm finally stronger than my dad and I can out bench press him finally but only very recently mind you But of those of you who know him, if he just stopped coming and you didn't see him for weeks and you saw him in the the shopping centre, where where, where, have you been? Ah, I'm not interested anymore. Be honest. How many would that affect? How many would be sad by that? How many would be disappointed by that? Hey, who would even be rocked by that? Who 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 would have to really weigh up? what it is that they believe because of that. Yeah, I know. But he knows that. And that's why he's here. Because his church attendance isn't all about him. See, if if you're just making church attendance about you and when you want to come, if you want to come, that's fine, but it does tell me something. It just tells me that your eyes aren't where it needs to be. And that's fine, but if we want to become more like Jesus, we may need to weigh up our lifestyle. I I said before, when it comes to baptism, Jesus didn't need to get baptized. He never sinned. The whole symbolism of baptism is we die to our old way of living and we rise up in the fullness and the newness of Christ. Jesus didn't have an old way of living to die to. So what was he doing? He was modelling something for us. Yeah. Yeah. See, so that's what the mature ones do. Yeah. Yeah. We do what we don't have to do because of those who benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And, and let's be honest, we're not going to do that long term off the back of a motivational preach. Come on. I'm a good preacher. I'm going to get better. I work hard at my craft. But I am my best, Communication days aren't enough to keep you in faith. I know that. Because as good as I am, or as good as our team is, or as good as who we bring in from the outside, we're competing with McDonald's and Hawaii trips. How many of you, if you're honest, got an email about a cheap flight to Bali? How many got that? Yeah, lots of you. And how many of you said, I'm going to try and get that. And you stayed online for quite some time and you got certain far, in, you got certain far into the transaction to find out later it says declined. For another advert to pop up and say, but you can go for this price. Can, I want you to know that's a scam. As the band come up, th- this is the premise which they are working on. In the five minutes Two hours that it takes you to try to get through to get that cheap flight, they're working on your heart. With every minute you wait, your heart is becoming more and more attached to that trip, and they know it. They know it because where your heart is, your treasure is, and where your treasure is, your heart is. And so they know as you're waiting, you're thinking, I can't wait to be in Bali. I can see me now drinking the cocktails. (laughs) I can see me now getting a tan. I can see me now coming back showing off my tan to all my white friends. (laughs) And you're already there. You're gone, hook, line and sinker. And they know it. They know it. And then, sorry, declined. But, For this little bit extra. And then you're wrestling, oh, it's just a little bit extra. When in actual fact, that little bit extra isn't much cheaper than what you could have done any other time. Because they play on the premise of getting your heart. We need to set our heart on eternity. God has set eternity in our hearts. But we have to set our hearts on eternity. There are some here who have never set their heart on God. You've never come into a personal relationship with Jesus. You've never done that. You need to do that. Because there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. And you need to make that decision. And what better day than today to make that decision to follow Him. But you know what? It's not just a decision you make once off. As a non-Christian, you make that decision to become a Christian. But as a Christian, you have to make that decision to set your heart on Him every day. Because there's always competing distractions. You know, when we was in New York, I just fell in love with New York and I said to myself, man, I could live here. But I had to temper, I could live here with, hang on, what's the call of God in my life? Where has God placed me in light of eternity I can't just make that decision. And I'm like, oh, Times Square. Oh, in light of eternity. It's what I call fighting the drift. Every one of us drifts away from God, we never drift toward God. Every one of us is fighting this drift. And so we need church on a regular basis. We need the Word of God on a regular basis. We need to renew our mind on a regular basis. We need to set our heart on eternity on a regular basis. What prompted me to drag myself away from New York, from the island of America, from the island of Hawaii, to be so excited and stand before you this morning, there's a view of eternity that holds me, that makes me make the decisions that I need to make because my life is not my own. And so as unbelievers, non-believers, for those who are unsure where they fit in the whole scheme of things, you need to set your heart on eternity. For the believers in this place who have been walking for Jesus for many, many years now, you need to set your heart on eternity.